Harvard Divinity School. Yom Hatzma'ut and the Colonization of American Judaism, April 19th, 2022. Welcome. My name is Atalia Omer, and I'm a professor of religion, conflict, and peace studies at the Keough School of Global Affairs at the University of Notre Dame's Kroc Institute for International Peace Studies. I'm also the Dumphy Visiting Professor of Religion, Conflict, and Peacebuilding at Harvard Divinity School's Religion, Conflict, and Peace Initiative, which is a part of the Religion and Public Life program. It is in this latter capacity, and together with my colleagues, Hilary Vantisi, Professor Diane Moore, and Reem Atassi, that I have the honor and privilege to introduce and moderate today's event, which is at the seventh in our Religion, Conflict, and Peace Initiatives Spring Semester Series, which is titled Disrupting Injustice and Promoting Moral Imagination in Israel-Palestine. Recordings of prior events are available on our website or are in the process of becoming available. Last Tuesday, we featured the work of Matti Milstein, who is one of our fellows. We featured a conversation about his photojournalistic virtual exhibit titled Walking Through the Twilight, a visual exploration of contemporary Jewish anti-occupation activism. The event involved a conversation between Jewish and Palestinian activists who partake in core resistance work and who were profiled in Milstein's photographic exploration of contemporary American Jewish activism in solidarity with Palestinians against the Israeli military occupation. Today's event is very much connected to the broader efforts of American Jews to engage not only in solidarity and co-resistance work concretely against the Israeli occupation, but also decolonize or de-Zionize Jewishness itself. The title for today's event is Yom Ha'atzma'ut and the Colonization of American Judaism. The event features Rabbi Brent Rosen, who is a topple fellow at the Religion, Conflict and Peace Initiative at Harvard. Rabbi Rosen has also been an outspoken rabbinic American protest voice against the occupation and Israeli assaults on Palestinians, and especially since the assault on Gaza in 2008. In this capacity, he, um, he co-founded, together with other Jewish critics, Sedek Chicago, which is a values-based Jewish congregation that has initially defined itself as non-Zionist and recently has embraced an anti-Zionist identity an outcome of a long process of communal conversation and ultimately a vote to this effect. Rabbi Rosen will present his thesis on the colonization of American Judaism as manifested in the celebration of Yom Ha'atzma'ut or Israel's Independence Day, which also denotes the Nakba or the Palestinian catastrophe of displacement, massacres and erasures, which um, to bring in momentarily the basic insight of Patrick Wolf, the scholar of settler colonialism, the Nakba constitutes not only one event in, in time, the year 1948, it also is manifested as ongoing processes and structures of violence and control, but also resistance and Palestinian steadfastness or sumud, which will be the focus of our event next week, featuring another fellow of the, uh, at the Religion, Conflict and Peace Initiative, Rana Huri, who will be talking about expressions of sumud in Palestinian higher education. So we hope very much that you will be joining next week as well. Today, Rabbi Rosen will discuss his thesis about the colonization of American Judaism and, um, and his decolonizing praxis as a congregational rabbi, undertaking an effort to rewrite the religio-cultural script for American Jews. Rosen will be in dialogue here with Professor Daniel Boyarin, who need no introduction, but for the benefit of protocol, I will only indicate that he is the Herman P. and Sophia Tobman Professor of Talmudic Culture Emeritus at UC Berkeley, where he taught in the departments of Middle Eastern Languages and Culture and Rhetoric for over three decades. 
Professor Boyarin has been uh, the Caroline Zelazny Gross and Joseph S. Gross visiting professor in Talmudic civil law at Harvard Law School this past academic year of 2021-2022. So I'm coming to this webinar from South Bend, Indiana, and I acknowledge my presence on the traditional homelands of native peoples, and particularly the Pokagon Potawatomi who've been using the land for education for thousands of years and continue to do, to do so. Today's discussion of the colonization of American Judaism with a particular attention to the sanctification of Yom Ha'atzma'ut or Israel's Independence Day as a holiday marked in, in synagogues adorned by the Israeli flag concur with yet another moment of terrible vo vo volatility in occupied East Jerusalem, and especially in the Haram al-Sharif or the Dome of the Rock compound. The current moment, once again, impresses on us the critical importance of sacred spaces and sacred times and their political force and intersections with political times. This year's convergence of Easter, Ramadan, and Passover in itself cannot explain the escalation in Jerusalem. It cannot explain, for example, the emergence and increased mainstreaming and political validation of the claims of ultranationalist religious Jews to pray at the site of the Al-Aqsa compound and undergo ritualistic slaughter as per prescriptions during the temple period. Such provo provocative and inciting developments do not only subvert traditional prohibitions against setting food there outside the, mess the messianic moment, but also are backed up by the visibility of state violence as well as necropolitical secretive dimensions. The images of security forces violating the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the worshippers there during the sacred time of Ramadan is a case in point. It doesn't only constitute a violation of Muslim piety in abstraction, uh, it is also the violation of Palestinian bodies concretely in concrete time, historical time. Well, today's discussion takes us to US religious spaces by way of Rabbi Rosen's work on extricating Judaism from state violence and from the idolatry of Israel, uh, the worship of the Israeli state, and its, and its birth represented in your maths mode. I thought to start in Occupy East Jerusalem and in recent events to highlight the importance of contemporary diasporic Jewish grappling with the realities of Jewish power in which the diaspora is implicated and is complicit. Brent Rosen's reflection on Yom Ha'atzma'ut is not an abstract form of hermeneutics, but is deeply embedded in, the, in these realities of Palestine and Israel and how they reflect back upon American Jews. As a way of concluding this uh, fairly lengthy introduction, the words of Yeshayahu Leibovitch, late Israeli Jewish prophetic sage who called out Zionist state violence for its anti-Jewish underpinnings and who resented with all his scholarly might and sharp tongue the idolatrous worship of the state by the explicitly religious secular movement, with his words, his prophetic insight come to mind for challenging secular Zionists for their political theology and redemptive teleological promise and for challenging religious nationalism for its totality. Leibovitch famously said, and here I conclude the introduction, religious nationalism is to religion what national socialism is to socialism. National socialism is not socialism, but it's opposite. And likewise, religious nationalism is not religion, but it's, but it's, it's opposite. National religiousness, uh, it is analogous to national socialism, end of quote. With this, I will turn to you, Brand, to share with us your analysis of the sacralization of Yom Ha'atzma'ut in Jewish American spaces and your effort to de-Zionize Jewish American life. So please, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Atalia, for that wonderful introduction. I think you helped to contextualize and set the stage for our, for our conversation today really, really beautifully. Um, I'm, yeah, boy, I haven't heard that uh, Rabbi Leibovitz uh, quote in a long time, but it, uh, that could be my whole presentation right there. Um, so thank you, Atalia. Uh, before I begin, I, I want to express my deep appreciation, uh, first of all, to the RCPI program and Harvard Divinity School, where I've had the wonderful opportunity 
to collaborate with truly inspiring fellows and teachers over the past two years. And uh, I'm also very thankful and honored to be uh, sharing this program with Professor Boyarin. Uh, and I thank him for taking the time to consider and respond to my presentation today. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. So just to contextualize a bit, for my RCPI project, I've been writing Jewish liturgy that reflects this unique moment in Jewish history, an era in which a Jewish nation state and the nationalist ideology of Zionism has assumed a prominent, if not central place in Jewish life. I don't think we can underestimate the powerful and thorough nature of this normalization. So thorough, I think, that it is too often uncritically assumed in terms of my project, I've been interested in how this normalization has impacted North American synagogue life, and in particular, how it's reflected in our liturgy. And so the central aspect of my project has been the composition of new Jewish prayers that consciously interrupt the assumptions of Zionism and Jewish nation statism. Some of these new prayers are prayers we use in my synagogue, Tzedek Chicago, which we founded seven years ago, as Italia mentioned, uh, for Jews who do not identify as Zionist or who actively oppose Zionism, who view solidarity with Palestinians to be not only an issue of political conscience, but as a sacred Jewish imperative. In my presentation today, I want to highlight Zionist normalization in Jewish life by focusing on the holiday of Yom Ha'atzmaut, Israeli Independence Day. I want to interrogate the ways it is observed not only as an occasion for solidarity with the state of Israel, but as a religious Jewish festival, one that is celebrated regularly on the holiday calendar of nearly every North American synagogue. I'll be examining some examples of popular Yom Ha'atzmaut liturgies and exploring their religious and ethical implications. And finally, I'd like to suggest an alternative Jewish liturgical response to Israeli statehood, one that frames the sacred significance of its establishment in a decidedly different way. The creation of a Jewish religious holiday by government legislation is, needless to say, unprecedented in Jewish history. Its origins date back to the period immediately following Israel's establishment, when the Knesset officially established the fifth of the Jewish month of Iyar as the permanent date for Israel's Independence Day, uh, which corresponded at the time to uh, May 15th, uh, and comes out uh, on every year, on, uh, depending on how the lunar calendar works out around that time, given a few weeks before, a few weeks after. At the time, Knesset members were unanimous that this holiday should have, quote, traditional Jewish significance. And in 1949, the new government created a committee to consult with Israel's chief rabbis in order to determine the precise nature of its religious observance. Very quickly, Yom Ha'atzmaut was framed as a day that celebrated not merely political independence, but divine deliverance and redemption. In terms of observance, Many of the initial discussions focused on the recitation of Hallel, a series of psalms of praise that are traditionally recited on major Jewish festivals. In terms of newly created liturgy, the template was set by the composition of a new version of Al-Hanisim for the miracles, a prayer traditionally recited on the festivals of Purim and Hanukkah that praises God's miraculous deliverance of the Jewish people from their enemies. The first Al-Hanisim for Yom Ha'atzmaut was written in 1949 by biblical and Talmudic scholar Rabbi Ezra Tzion Melamed, and it was later published by Kibbutz Hadati, the religious kibbutz movement. And I want to read to you uh, now the uh, English, an English translation of that original Al-Hanisim, which has uh, since become the template for many uh, similar versions that have been uh, published throughout the Jewish world. And I'm going to share that screen with you now. And I just want to offer a trigger warning because this is really, really tough stuff to hear. For the miracles and for the redemption and for the mighty deeds and for the deliverance and for the wars that you did for our fathers and for, those, and for us in those days at this season. 
You, O God, awakened the heart of our fathers to return to the mountain of your inheritance, to settle there, and to rebuild it from the ruins and its land. And when an evil regime stood over us and shut the gates of our land to our brethren who were fleeing from the sword of a cruel enemy, and they sent them back in ships to the islands of the sea and to distant shores, you in your might toppled his throne and freed the land from his hand. And when enemies rose against us and plotted to destroy us, you in your might sent upon them fear and panic, and they abandoned all their goods and fled in confusion and haste beyond the borders of our land. And when seven nations rose up against us to conquer our land and to make us as bonded servants, you in your mercies stood by the right hand of the Israel Defense Army and delivered the mighty into the hands of the weak, the many into the hands of the few, and evildoers into the hands of the righteous. And with your outstretched arm, you helped the young men of Israel to expand the boundaries of our settlement and to bring our brethren up from the concentration camps. For all this, we thank you, O Lord our God, with bowed head, and on this, our day of festivity and joy, we stretch our hands before you and beseech, pray on behalf of our dispersed brethren and say, please, our Father, our Shepherd, gather them quickly to your holy habitation, and may they dwell there in peace and calm and tranquility and security. Expand the borders of our land as you promised our forefathers to give to their seed from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt. Build your holy city, Jerusalem, capital of Israel, and reestablish there your temple as in the days of Solomon. And as we have merited to see the beginning of our redemption and the liberation of our souls, so may we live and may our eyes see the complete redemption of Israel and renew our days as of old. Amen. So we could spend the rest of the hour just unpacking these words. Um, and again, these words were written uh, for the religious kibbutz movement and was published in a very popular uh, booklet that um, came out uh, in the early 1950s, but as I said, has really formed the, the template for versions of Allah Nisim that is widely used uh, throughout not only Israel, but throughout the diaspora, as I'll mention. Uh, this prayer uses unabashedly biblical language, refers to the Zionist colonization as an awakening and a return to the Jewish people's inheritance. Uh, I'm sure you noticed the use, the, the reference to uh, the, the British mandatory authorities who were really contemporary, contemporaneous of that time, uh, uh, very much a part of this, of this story and this the geopolitical reality. Uh, they're referred to as an evil regime. Uh, the Zionist militia's dispossession of Palestinians from their homes, which was still ongoing at the time of its writing in uh, the spring of 1949, was ascribed to divine intervention using images that evoked the conquest of the biblical Canaanites commanded by God. Similar framing is used to describe the Arab armies that joined the war in 1949. And the term seven nations is a pointed reference uh, to the Canaanite nations that dispossessed, uh, that the Israelites dispossessed uh, from the land uh, in the book of Joshua. The final stanza of the prayer concern, contains a reference to Kibbutz Galuyot, the ingathering of the exiles, which is God's promise to return the Israelites to their land following the Babylonian exile. The term is used here according to the tenets of religious Zionism, which views the establishment of a Jewish state as a necessary precursor to the coming of the Messiah. It concludes by looking forward to a return to the widest biblical borders of Israel from the Euphrates to the Nile and the reestablishment of the temple in Jerusalem. And just given recent events uh, at the Al-Aqsa Mosque at, at the Temple Mount, um, I think this is not just history that we're reading. Um, this, this is very much the natural, I believe, the natural progression. Uh, of this of this mindset of this messianic mindset that was embedded from the very beginning 
uh, in a prayer that was uh, widely and is widely prayed uh, throughout the Jewish world. The religious celebration of Yom Hatzmaut migrated very quickly to the diaspora. The conservative movement included its own version of Al-Hanissim for Yom Hatzmaut in its weekday prayer book in 1961, and later in its 1985 prayer book, Sidur Sim Shalom, uh, which they use to this day. The reform movement, which was historically anti-Zionist, did not include references to Yom Hatzmaut in its old Union prayer book, uh, but in 1970, the Central Conference of American Rabbis, the rabbinic arm of the reform movement, formally announced that it would establish Yom Hatzmaut as, quote, a permanent annual festival in the religious calendar of Reform Judaism, end quote. Both the Reform and the Reconstructionist movements, which is my denomination, include extensive services for Yom Hatzmaut in their denominational prayer books and that include messianic references from prophetic books of the Hebrew Bible. So the presence of these, these Yom Hatzmaut liturgies in the prayers of so-called liberal Jewish denominations attest to the deep influence of religious Zionist ideology on American Jewish life. It is indeed troubling to consider the prayers of every American Jewish denomination frame Israel's military dispossession of Palestinians from their homes in the context of holy war and ascribe explicitly messianic meaning to Zionist colonization of the land. There is much more to say about all of this, but the question I want to ask now is, can American Judaism stand down this mythic Zionist narrative, a narrative that now assumes religious importance in Jewish life? Is it possible to frame this occasion with a fundamentally different Jewish narrative, one that stands down this redemptive view of militarism and state power? In my own search for answers to this question, the work of several Jewish scholars has become particularly important to me. One such figure is Mark Ellis, uh, Professor Mark Ellis, who has written extensively about the theological dynamics of Jewish empowerment in the wake of the Holocaust and the establishment of the State of Israel. Uh, and here I'm quoting Ellis. In the formation, sustenance, and expansion of Israel, Judaism and Jewish identity has likewise been actively employed, indeed has been militarized, and yes, infected with atrocity. Because once religion and identity become accomplices to atrocity, it must disguise that atrocity and twist it to conform to an innocence and redemption that is now visited as a form of oppression on the other, in this case, the Palestinian people." End quote. For Ellis, the onset of Jewish state power has resulted in an era of what he calls Constantinian Judaism, comparable to the elevation of Christianity to the religion of empire in the fourth century. In the current age, Ellis suggests, quote, dissenting Jews must learn how to practice their Judaism in the shadow of Constantinian Judaism. He refers to dissenting Jews as, quote, Jews of conscience, who he writes, and I quote, are fighting a high stakes battle against the final Jewish assimilation to unjust power, which in their view, articulated in overt Jewish language or not, signals the end of Jewish history. Likewise, uh, Professor Sarah Roy, whose work has detailed the devastating effects of Israel's ongoing blockade of Gaza on Palestinians, has written in a remarkable essay entitled uh, A Jewish Plea. I quote, I have come to accept that Jewish power and sovereignty and Jewish ethics and spiritual integrity are, in the absence of reform, incompatible, unable to coexist or be reconciled. For if speaking out against the wanton murder of children is considered an act of disloyalty and betrayal rather than a legitimate act of dissent, where dissent is so ineffective and reviled, a choice is ultimately forced upon us between Zionism and Judaism. Roy then asks powerfully, as Jews in a post-Holocaust world empowered by a Jewish state, how do we as a people emerge from atrocity and abjection, empowered and also humane, something that still eludes us? How do we move beyond fear and omnipotence 
beyond innocence and militarism to envision something different, even if uncertain. My own synagogue, Tzedek Chicago, has been exploring ways to develop a Jewish observance of this occasion as a day of Jewish reckoning, remembrance, and repentance with a service that combines prayers, readings, poetry, and survivor testimonies. Uh, so I'd like to read for you now a, a prayer that I wrote to be a centerpiece of, of this ritual. This is uh, <clears throat> what I, I currently call a Jewish prayer for Nakba day. Le'el shachafetz tshuva to the one who desires return. Receive with the fullness of your mercy the hopes and prayers of those who were uprooted, dispossessed, and expelled from their homes during the devastation of the Nakba. Sanctify for tov uvracha, for goodness and blessing, the memory of those who were killed in Lida, in Haifa, in Beisan, in Dir Yassin, and so many other villages and cities throughout Palestine. Grant chesed verachamim, kindness and compassion, upon the memory of the expelled, who died from hunger, thirst, and exhaustion along the way. Shelter beneath Kanfei Hashchina, the soft wings of your divine presence, those who still live under military occupation, who dwell in refugee camps, those dispersed throughout the world still dreaming of return. Gather them, Me'arba Kanfota Aretz, from the four corners of the earth, that their right to return to their homes be honored at long last. Let all who dwell in the land live in dignity, equity, and hope, so that they may bequeath to their children a future of justice and peace. Vinomar, and let us say, Amen. Lael shachafetz tshuva, to the one who desires repentance. Inspire us to make a full accounting of the wrongdoing that was committed in our name. Help us to face the terrible truth of the Nakba and its ongoing injustice, that we may finally confess our offenses, that we may finally move toward a future of reparation and reconciliation. Le'el male rachamim, to the one filled with compassion, show us how to understand the pain that compelled our people to inflict such suffering upon another, dispossessing families from their homes in the vain hope of safety and security for our own. Oseh hashalom, maker of peace, Guide us all toward a place of healing and wholeness, that the land may be filled with the sounds of joy and gladness from the river to the sea, speedily in our day, the Nomar, and let us say, Amen. And so there's much I could say about unpacking the imagery of uh, this particular prayer, but um, I'll just say that the entire prayer is really a... Um, uses the concept of tshuva, the Hebrew word tshuva, as a foundation, and it plays with the two different meanings of the word. Uh, it means both uh, return, to literally return, but it also means repentance, uh, return in the, the spiritual sense. And the first half of it, in, it refers to Palestinian return, right? it's remembrance in Palestinian return, and the second half dealing with uh, Jewish tshuva, Jewish repentance, uh, moving toward uh, a, a future of, uh, of equity and reparation and, and hope for all who dwell in the land. Um, I'll stop the share now. We can talk more uh, about uh, the prayer. There's much more to say about that as well, and I'm happy to do it. Um, for now, I'd just like to conclude by saying that the kind of liturgical intervention I'm suggesting here is one that is very much informed, as uh, as Natalia said in her introduction, by a diasporic context and consciousness. In other words, I'm not merely advocating for the designizing of contemporary Judaism. I'm seeking to recontextualize the Jewish diaspora as fertile soil for Jewish spiritual creativity, as well as a place of solidarity not just with our fellow Jews, but with all with, who, with whom we share geographic space, and in particular, those who are marginalized and oppressed. Uh, in the words of scholar Susanna Heschel, 
quote, the diasporic position is the condition for the prophetic, standing at the boundaries between society and the reins of governance. The prophet demands justice from the governing while giving voice to the unheard who suffer at the hands of the regime, end quote. And with these words, I'll end my introductory comments and I look forward to now engaging in further conversation. Wonderful, thank you, Brent. I now would like to um, invite Professor Boyarin to, um, to be out, to reflect um, on Brent's thesis. Uh, perhaps um, uh, if, you, uh, in, if you can thread into your remark um, consideration of Brent's argument with respect to how he is using and drawing on Mark Ellis' notion of Constantinian uh, Judaism, um, the concept of tshuva, the practice, the praxis <laughs> um, of tshuva, and uh, this uh, final point about the framing, uh, this notion of dia the diasporic, diasporic consciousness uh, as a source of Jewish creativity and solidarity. So, um, Professor Boyarin. Well, um, <clears throat> let me say that I am um, deeply in sympathy with your political and ethical positions. Let's start from that. I, I suppose that you knew that, which may be part of the reason I was invited uh, to be here um, on this day. Um, I'm no friend of liturgy. <laughs> what can I say? And the only virtue that liturgy has is uh, usually that it's very old and we, we don't understand all the words or sentiments that are being um, mumbled even by those of us who know Hebrew very well. So uh, there's, um, it, there's a kind of sacralization of Yom Ha'atzmaut that is not nonetheless taking place in, in these uh, moves as uh, that, it, what can I say? It's a, it's, a, it's a question of taste, maybe. It's not my cup of tea, right? One, one version of sacralization is desecrating. Desecrating is also a kind of sacralization, right? And um, I'd rather just leave Yomatsmut alone. I mean, not let it keep going or, or uh, leave it to be. That's not what I mean by let it alone. I mean, let it aside of my, um, um, I don't believe in Judaism, so I'll say my uh, Judaite uh, completely. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't say, any kind of a prayer of mourning on Shabtai Tzvi's birthday. Um, and um, to me, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's Mokza, the whole, the whole, the whole thing. Um, so I don't disagree with you at all. You know, I don't disagree with you. And um, it's probably as good as it gets as a quote unquote religious response to Yom Ha'atzmaut. But um, I personally feel more comfortable in the um, um, deeply traditional and traditionalist world of Haredi anti-Zionism, uh, anti which basically just goes, you know, fat. Um, uh, then uh, with um, counter liturgies. This is not a criticism. This is a, just simply a response. Yeah. Um, Ezra on Malamed, like almost everybody else, was naive. He was also extremely, extremely learned. You know, he was a very important scholar of Talmud and professor. His politics were clearly, um, his political position was clearly in the uh, direction of Cherut, 
right? The right-wing revisionist Zionisms that imagined a greater or complete um, uh, uh, land of Israel. But he, the reason his poem succeeded was because it really sounds like Alanisim in Hebrew. In other words, if you recite it in Hebrew, it sounds very much like the ones we say for 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 Hanukkah and uh, and for for Purims, right? So he caught a certain spirit of the age. Um, I don't think that anything he says there is any more objectionable than what the sec- so-called secular Zionists or anti-religious Zionists were saying at the same time, because I could modify. Yeshaya Leibowitz's bon mot and say that socialist nationalism is equivalent to national socialism also. I don't need a stop in religion to, uh, to, make, to make that equation. And then we've got Mapai and Hashemir Hatzair and um, even probably the communist members of the first Congress, uh, who, if if they really voted unanimously to adopt Yom Atzmut of the first Knesset, if they really voted unanimously, I don't know, I don't know this for a fact. I'm just deriving Talmudically from what you said. Um, if it was really unanimous to make Yom Atzmut some kind of a, a, a Jewish uh, holiday, they were all guilty of it. This is not uh, some, and the, the whole point of it was to make this, that thing be a Jewish state and to exclude Goyim, to make them at best, and I'm talking about the most liberal and most progressive, uh, and, and even the, 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 the communists, to, to make uh, the, the Palestinians, we didn't even know, to call them Palestinians, then we just called them Arabs, um, feel that they didn't belong. And, uh, and that has been the consistent practice of the um, Israeli state uh, since then. So um, I, I guess what I'm producing is some sort of an apology for traditional Yiddishkeit. Um, the mood of 1950 swept everyone up. Swept people up who became the founders of Mats Pen when they woke up a few years later. I, I, I guess, you know, let's. Let's, let's all sit and learn Gomorrah. That would be a, uh, better than, uh, than reciting uh, newly made poems and liturgies. Again, not that there's anything wrong with the poem that you wrote. Um, I would correct one, one, um, one thing, but uh, not, not um, online. I'll share that with you. So we're 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 allies. We're uh, in coalition. But uh, uh, all right. Uh, so sorry. Uh, so so maybe um, we can um, start with the uh, with the dialogue. I just wanted to highlight two two uh, two things that I heard uh, in this response, and of course there was. <laughs> Uh, there were many more layers. Uh, two eight one is um, uh, a point about uh, this uh, exercise in counter liturgy. Um, uh, is it a useful, meaningful um, a kind of um, kind of ex- exercise? Is it necessary? Uh, so, Professor Boyarin, you think no, it's not necessary. Um, I also hear what, what I found very interesting is kind of. Um, um, different points of departures because for um, Rabbi Rosen, um, his um, uh, point of departure seems to be very relational uh, with respect to his responding as a Jewish person uh, to the claims that Palestinians, the moral claims that Palestinians are making and that uh, on him as a Jewish person that is complicit in power and abuse and displacement and the Nakba. 
uh, as ongoing. Uh, and need, and the, the, the argument that you made just now um, is more within um, kind of, um, a Jewish framework that is not necessarily also relational. I mean, you don't preclude the relational, but you are make you say, let's just sit and study uh, Torah. Um, um, and so, so I wonder, um, Brent, if you want, like, how, how would you want to respond initially uh, to the points made? Sure. Or maybe uh, to your last point that what Daniel is saying that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that the relational happens outside the realm of the synagogue and and the you know the 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 liturgy the liturgical that that is more of a political relation relationship than one that takes place within this the context that i've been describing um yeah I, you know i think i think we're coming from two very different places obviously and two different approaches to judaism um i don't i don't i don't daven the traditional jewish liturgy you know um that's that's not my my liturgical context. Um, I'm not a I'm not a traditional Jew in that regard, and so I, my relationship, my understanding um, of of what Jewish liturgy is or could be is just uh, could or should be is very very is very very different. Um, and I uh, I think I'm part of a community that is seeking to create c contemporary liturgies that um, are rooted in in Jewish tradition. Uh, but that respond to to realities, the the given realities of our of our time. I, I want to say that um, I don't look at this as uh, a new version of Yom Hatzmaut or a new even new new response to Yom Hatzmaut. I don't think this what I'm suggesting has anything to do with Yom Yom Hatzmaut actually. So in that regard, I'm with Daniel in that I'm happy to ignore it. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to let it go by. But what I, what I'm suggesting is that. As I said in the beginning of my remarks, I, I think that this the founding of the state of Israel had a cataclysmic effect uh, in so many different ways. Certainly for Palestinians, but also it 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 had a deep and transformative effect on Judaism as we know it. And um, I I see the work that I'm doing, the project that I'm embarking on, as trying to create a Jewish response to this moment, uh, not uh, an alternative Yom Hatzmaut mm. or even a, a Jewish response to the 1948, the events of 1948, but to the to the reality of Constantinian Judaism, of, of the fusing of Judaism and state power um, and have that be reflected in in our liturgy. I mean, the community that the the synagogue that I'm a part of would not be content just to um, study Gemara and ignore Yom Hatzmaut. I think they're they feel compelled to find some kind of Jewish response to the to the spiritual and ethical uh, significance of this moment that we're in. That is so overwhelmingly transformative. Uh, not just again, not just historically, but every single day. Uh, which you mentioned, Natalia, in your in your comments in terms of the um, uh, settler colonialism is an ongoing process. Uh, the Nakba is happening as we speak. So, it's it's both a it's both a liturgical inter intervention, but also just a suggestion for opening up what we might consider to be uh, a, a religious Jewish response to the very unique time in which we live. I just want to correct one thing. I don't make a distinction between religion and politics in, in the way you suggested uh, that I do. Um, I could be heard uh, that way. Um, um, but I guess I guess ultimately uh, ultimately, I'm not looking for a Jewish response. To anything that's happening in Palestine. I don't recognize it as Jewish. Um, if I have a choice, and, which is not that I don't feel a deep sense of responsibility for the Palestinians, which I enact politically in many ways, um, and at a fair degree of, of personal cost. But, uh, but, 
I don't know exactly how to say this. Um, I think we have a, a, um, a, a double responsibility in that sense, uh, a, a responsibility that we take on ourselves of the bad, the bad behavior of Jews that we take responsibility for and fight against. That's, that's a part of Jewish solidarity. As I write in my forthcoming book, Jewish shame is an important part of Jewish identity. And Jewish resistance to Jewish evil is an important part of Jewish identity. But the, the, um, the, the, the passion of um, Tikkun HaOlam is, is done here where I am. When I lived in, in Jerusalem, my primary activity as an activist was uh, Palestinian uh, solidarity. Not, yeah. And, uh, but now I live in Berkeley and my primary concern is the oppression of black people by American police. Which Brent, maybe that's an opportunity to bring in kind of the broader framework of the, the broader values framework of Tzedek Chicago and that kind of prefigurative uh, Jewish community, how it connects also to hearness. Yes, no, absolutely. And I, I tried to allude to that in the, the end of my comments in terms of, and, and this is something I actually learned from Daniel in terms of this notion of diasporic, being a diasporic nation that you live in, you know, two, you, at least two, uh, nations at the same time, um, uh, and that one is a sense of solidarity with your your Jewish community, your Jewish, you know, Am Yisrael, and and uh, but also the Jewish community of the location where you happen to be living, and the geographic the, your neighbors with whom you share space in the geographic place in which you live. And from the very beginning, um, our congregation, uh, our synagogue. Um, was was involved in uh, work in Chicago that was uh, very focused on building relationships uh, with local groups, local uh, groups that were um, struggling, you know, struggling for uh, for liberation on so many different levels. So we didn't see our work uh, as Jews of conscience standing with Palestinians is somehow separate from that. Um, but 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 part of these two different realms that kind of intersected in a Venn diagram, perhaps. Um, so it, it, it's very diasporic in that in that regard. You know, one of the first things we did uh, on Yom, uh, Yom uh, Rosh Hashanah, the second day of Rosh Hashanah was we had a uh, we had an action at um, uh, Chicago City Hall in solidarity with Chicago Teachers Union who were who were in the midst of a very, uh, very landmark strike actually at the time so you know this is part of the continuum of the work the work that we do um yeah there's there's much more we could say about how how we balance our balance this work and and the significance of this work uh, uh living living in the diaspora versus uh, if you were living, as as Daniel said, in in Jerusalem, where you're literally sharing geographic geographic space with Palestinians, it's very different for us living in the diaspora. I agree. Yeah, and but, but this brings to the foreground that I mean, it's obviously it's not either or because um, a kind of engagement, liturgical as well as other uh, modes of engagement, brand that that you've kind of um, engaged in um, and practiced over. Um, over the years are both relational because you are very much as a Jewish person confronted uh, by the realities of Jewish uh, power and abuse and, and violence. Um, so the Constantinian uh, dimension, but also in understanding that this process of reimagining Jewishness uh, as exemplified in Tzedek Chicago um, is also intersectional. And that actually to be, to, to be in solidarity with Palestinians is also 
uh, intersecting because Palestinians see those intersections in their struggles with Black Americans, right. Black and Brown Americans. So, um, so those um, sites of engagement are interconnected, um, and yeah. this very much comes into the kind of hermeneutics that you are doing, right? Yes, and we, you know, it's interesting because right now we're in the midst of a bit of a transition because when we started, this was before the pandemic, obviously. And we were very, very geographically specific to Chicago, even though we had members who traveled uh, from, you know, outside of Chicago, sometimes far outside of Chicago to be with us. It was still very, ge it was very much bound up with the geographic space in, in, in Chicago. So we have cultivated deep relationships with other grass, uh, uh, grassroots movements, including Palestinians who live in the Palestinian community of Chicago, by the way, um, who also are part of this greater, you know, this greater community. Um, since the pandemic, you know, we've gone online with our services and we're not very local anymore. I mean, we still have a core of in Chicago, um, but we literally have people joining us every week from all over the world. Um, so it's TEDx Chicago, but it's a global TEDx Chicago. And, you know, it's, it's forcing us to re-figure what it means, you know, we're, re it's, we're coming face to face with the diaspora in a way we never expected. <laughs> you know, we have people from New Zealand who come to tour study every week and it's like early Sunday morning when they join us. Um, and so, you know, the, the notion of the, the, how important the the sharing physical space is when we talk about being a diasporic Jew. Right now, we're trying to, to, to figure out what that means when we're, we're largely virtual, almost completely virtual still. Um, and, but I, I think there's something about place. I, I agree, there's something about place that is absolutely important and you, you can never, there's no substitute for that. I'd be happy if the police started doing all their work by Zoom. Great. Well, um, I actually, on this note, I, I want to uh, introduce a few of the excellent questions that came from the audience. Um, and so I'll try to do my best to convey uh, most of them or, um, or kind of the, the, the gist of, of the questions. Uh, so one from Ileana writes, it doesn't surprise me that reform reconstructionist and conservative liturgy adds Hallel with a bracha to commemorate a recent political event. Um, uh, what is shocking is that modern orthodoxy and religious Zionism, which at least in theory are concerns about concepts like bracha, levatala, and don't freely change litur liturgy, have accepted these liturgical changes so freely. What does that say about modern orthodoxy and religious Zionism and their commitment to liturgical continuity and how that interacts with their access to power? So um, I'll just, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the books that I was very important in my own research and the essay that I wrote, which was much more expansive than the presentation I gave, was this book. It's the, called the Koran Machsor for Yom Hatzma'ut and Yom Yerushalayim. And Koran Publishers is a very important uh, traditional Jewish publishing house, and it's um, it's filled with liturgy uh, for Yom Hatzma'ut, uh, including different. It has very many different versions of the Al Hanisim, uh, including Melamids, uh, and an anthology of essays by major uh, Orthodox figures, both in the diaspora and from Israel, about the religious uh, significance of the holiday. Um, that this uh, this is an example of what Ileana was just saying that the, the thorough embrace um, by the Orthodox community in Israel and and in the diaspora of the um, of turning Yom Hatzmaut into a you know a chag alongside all the others on the religious on the religious Jewish calendar and as not being part of that community when you say what does it say about them I. You know, it's that that's not for me to say other than it, I find it deeply troubling. You know, and, and the, at the first Yom Atzma'ud, they asked the, uh, the Rosh Yeshiva Ponovich, Rav Kahanaman, uh, whether what he was going to do about liturgy for Yom Atzma'ud. He said, I follow Ben-Gurion's custom. Ben-Gurion doesn't say Hallel. I don't say Hallel. Ben-Gurion doesn't say Tachanun. I don't say Tachanun. 
maybe to an uh, audience who, that is not immersed in this language, maybe you can explain what those means, <laughs> those words well, mean. Uh, Halel, uh, uh, Rabbi Rosen talked about the, uh, the Psalms of praise. And the question that was raised now was, uh, uh, many, many Orthodox congregations say it without it without a uh, bracha, we should say, without a blessing also. But the, what the, the Panovich was, was saying with a fair degree of cleverness and irony is that uh, Zionism is not our project, but, uh, and uh, following Ben-Gurion's uh, custom indicates the separation between uh, between a project that uh, that's on the border between kosher and treif and uh, and and liturgy. Uh, so I think it, uh, I was trying to answer also. Uh, the question, I didn't catch her name. Yeah. Ileana. <laughs> um, yeah. And just one more sentence. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. not forget when we say Orthodox that there is a great deal of variation and dissent. Uh, there's no official Orthodox body. Uh, Koran is a thoroughly, thoroughly Zionist militaristic uh, publisher. I mean, I'm not saying this lets them or anybody else off the hook, but but need a contextual. They print the Bibles for the for, for the army, you know, and I have been doing that for the last at least fifty years. And um, so uh, there's a lot there's a lot of variation, a great deal of um, um, dissent. I've just spent a wonderful year here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, doing my own liturgical life at um, Chabad, Harvard, at Harvard Chabad. And I haven't heard the state of Israel mentioned once, the whole year. So, a relief. Um. Yeah, thanks uh, for sharing this. Um, so um, maybe a, a final question. Um, uh, uh, start with you, uh, Brand, um, about, uh, again, going back to um, kind of the point of orientation, this relationality. Um, uh, when you think about <laughs> Jewishness, you think about it relationally with respect to the historical moment um and um, complicity and obligation to Palestinians specifically but also as we talked about intersectionally to um uh, to, to other struggles and you know uh, uh, injustices um and that are interconnected so um so, so, so this is to say that you are very uh, that your um, hermeneutical work is very attuned to uh, to, to suffering of others so it's kind of a Jewishness that is other centric um, and so my question is what, how do you see, how do you bring it together uh, with the narratives um, of Jewish suffering? So how do you negotiate um, those questions uh, in your work, in your, in your praxis? You're muted. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so much of, of Jewish ritual uh, whether it's the holidays or, um, or life cycle events, you know, Jewish, the, the, the history of Jewish loss and, and Jewish pain is very palpable. I mean, it's, it's impossible to get away from. It's part, it's part of the fabric of, of our tradition. Um, and that's the way, that's the way it's evolved. Um, I, so I, you know, I think there's always, <clears throat> I think there's always a sense uh, of trying to negotiate um, how you know what what constitutes uh, valid and important Jewish Jewish recognition of our pain and Jewish mourning uh, for mythic events, whether it's like on Tisha B'Av, 
you know, when we're remembering the, the destruction of the temple, but of course it's refracted through so many other moments of, of Jewish loss. Um, and and how how do we balance that with um, with the loss that's all around us by people again with people with whom we share we share geographic proximity, um, and that balance will be different for different people. You know, we just finished uh, Passover, and you know it's 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 getting in the progressive Jewish community is becoming something of a joke that every year you put another thing on the seder plate you know, for this oppressed pe people or that oppressed people, and pretty soon we're running out of room on the Seder plate for all of these different people. And there's no way you're going to be able to find room for, for everyone, you know. Um, and so there's that side of the equation, but it's also a holiday that commemorates, you know, Jewish liberation. So I think in the case of the uh, the state of Israel, and again, this is, I think, where, where Daniel and I differ in terms of our approach, um, this is, you know, this is an event that emerged in the in the aftermath of of a, Jew, a horrible Jewish cataclysm that we're still, you know, that is still very much contemporaneous with us now, um, and uh, you know, the Jewish nation that 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 so many Jews consider to be this divine redemptive moment, the establishment of a Jewish state, um, was created on the backs of another people and 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 occasion the dispossession of another people. And so that adds an additional level of complexity, you know, to the way we're going to recognize this, whether it's whether it's polit politically or in our in our ritual life, which is again something that I've been trying to to suggest that um that it's important to do so. So, you know, it's there's no the answer to your question Natalia is there's no there's no single solitary way to do that. I think it's, you know, it, it's finding a, trying to, a constant attempt to find that balance. Um, and it's what it, it, what it means to be a Jew in the diaspora early, I believe. Thank you. Uh, Professor Boyarin, do you want to reflect on this question? No, you're muted. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Not particularly. I, I I find myself in agreement both with your formulations, Italia, and and with with Brent's. And, and I'm just, I guess, not a liturgical person. For <laughs> me, the function of the function of of davening is to connect with the past. A mythical past, in part, that goes all the back, all the way back, and, and constitutes the the uh, the uh, the Yiddish folk Jewry, as we ought to say in English. I think not the Jewish people, not the, but Jewry, and uh, and find other ways to express. Uh, and live um, the the pain of solidarity with uh, with people who are uh, suffering every day. The hard one for me, frankly, is the Ukrainians. As long as Khmelnytsky is standing and sitting on his horse in the middle of Kiev, and I won't say Kiev, I really find it hard to. Um, I mean, no question that I think what, what Putin is doing is horrible and wrong. That's not, a, a, but I can't develop a great deal of emotion. I think that, anyway. uh, that we are um, concluding this session with a lot of kind of a fruitful uh, tensions and areas of, um, uh, to uh, please forgive me for using a liberal language of overlapping consensus. Um, uh, but, 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 but important, important tensions. Um, I think that it's also important to acknowledge as we conclude that a lot of the conversation about Jewishness and Jewry uh, uh, really um, is, uh, has centered here uh, Ashkenazi Jews and Europe, uh, and it's important to bring into the analysis 
um, uh, the experiences of Jews in Arab and Islamic countries, also as they are unfolding um, uh, within the context of, kind of the ideological framework of Euro-Zionism as it plays out in the contemporary uh, moment. Um, so, um, so there is, um, um, I just, uh, as, as we were talking about suffering, I was thinking of um, the classics, Edward Said uh, essay on the uh, Zionism from the perspective of its victims, and then Ella Shochat's essay, uh, Zionism from the perspective of its Jewish, Mizrahi or um, uh, victims. Uh, so, um, so, so perhaps even though it's not, um, a terribly satisfying place. Um, we will conclude, and I want to thank you uh, both, Professor Boyari and Rabbi Rosen, for uh, engaging in this conversation and for um, the important work that you are both doing uh, in different ways. Thank you so much, Natalia. Thank you to Daniel. Thank you. Sponsor, Religion, Conflict, and Peace Initiative. Copyright 2022, the President and Fellows of Harvard College.